You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Over the last three episodes, we've been discussing the first three of the four spaces of belonging, public space, social space, and personal space. In today's episode, we talk about intimate space. In intimate space, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with others. Like Adam and Eve prior to the fall, we can be naked and unashamed. Jesus demonstrated and modeled this space with his three closest disciples and friends, Peter, James, and John. He wasn't afraid to be vulnerable with them. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest. I hope God speaks to you as you listen to this episode on Intimate Space. In his, uh, in his book, Strong and Weak, Andy Crouch gives what I've really come to embrace as one of the greatest definitions of vulnerability. He says that vulnerability is exposing ourselves to meaningful risk. And he writes, true vulnerability involves risking something of real and even irreplaceable value. I've always prided myself in in being a transparent person and um, always trying to be really authentic. And, you know, about a year or so ago, meeting with a friend and counselor and spiritual director, he challenged me and he said, you know, John, you pride yourself in your authenticity and, and just being real. He's like, but you know, have you really made yourself vulnerable to people? And I was like, oh, I, I need to kind of think about that a little bit. And I'm not always one to embrace those touchy-feely kind of feelings in me. And as I really started thinking about it, I, I saw this contrast between transparency and authenticity and vulnerability. Because transparency and authenticity, they reveal, and they reveal what you want to reveal. <laughs> vulnerability actually exposes, and oftentimes exposure is showing the things that we sometimes try to hide, the things that we're like, okay, you all can see this over here, but I'm going to keep all this back here. And it was a challenge to me to really consider what that looked like, to say, hey, how am I making myself vulnerable to people. And you know, we've been walking over these last few weeks through the four spaces of belonging. We looked at at public space and social space and last week personal space and today we look at intimate space and it's in intimate space that we experience vulnerability. And so if we struggle with this idea of vulnerability, of exposing ourselves to meaningful risk, then chances are we probably will buck up against any intimate spaces that we might be called into. We might struggle with vulnerability. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and we see the, the creation account, we, we know that um, in that, God says after He created everything, it was good. And then He creates Adam and He says it was very good. But the one thing that, that God realizes is not good is for Adam to just be by himself. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we see that realization and what God's answer is to that. So if you have a Bible or you want to look on the screen and follow along, reading from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18, we read this, The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature was what its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother to united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We've walked through these four spaces today, landed on intimate space, and we've seen how God can use those different spaces to grow us and shape us and form us. And as we look at intimate space today, I think we need to start with an understanding of how God created us and the fact that He knows us and loves us intimately. You know, for some of us, that not, might not feel like such a stretch. We might say, okay, well, there's a lot to love about me, you know? While others might say, you know what? I, I can't believe that the God of the universe, holy and perfect, is willing to associate with the likes of me. You know, David understood that God knows us intimately, and Sam started off the service reading from Psalm 139. And I love the picture that, that David gives us in there. And this picture of a creator who knew us so intimately, knows us so deeply. You see, the creator intimately knows his creation. He knows the ins and outs of us. He knows everything about us. In verses 7 through 10 in Psalm 139, it says that there's nowhere that we can go where God can't find us. We can't run from Him. We can't hide from Him. And for some of us, we might be like, oh man, like that, that's terrifying to me. Like I want to be able to get away. I, I, I'm afraid of that. But, but that shouldn't be something that causes us fear. It should be something that, that actually fills us with relief and joy to know that there's nowhere that we can go. There's no place that we can fall. There's nowhere that we can run where we're not still within eyeshot of God. And that He sees us and loves us still. We're always in His care. We're always in His sight. Our understanding of intimacy needs to start with the fact that we're known intimately by God. The One who created us. Jesus in Luke 12, 7 says that, that God knows the very numbers of hairs on our head. For some of us, that's more of a challenge than others, right? Um, but God knows every single one of those hairs on our head. When one falls, He knows. And right before that, in Luke 12, He talks about sparrows, these seemingly insignificant birds, these small birds that even God knows when one of them falls from the sky. And if He knows that, then how much more significant are we to Him than just a little bird? We can easily see ourselves based on our faults and our sins and our imperfections. 
God sees us in that, and yet he still loves us. Drink that in for a minute. This week, I I spent some time with with others from our network of churches down in Oak Island, North Carolina. And one of the things that was impressed upon me that I realized how much I needed to hear was this idea that I need to preach the gospel, not to all of you, but to myself first. Like, I need to hear that even despite my imperfections, even despite all my flaws and faults and sins, that God still loves me. And that there's nowhere I can run, you know, like that old uh, song, nowhere to run to, right? Like, we cannot run from God. Our understanding of intimacy starts with God's intimate knowledge of us. And right there in Genesis 2, that picture that's painted that Adam and Eve stood before each other, stood before God. They were fully physically naked. There was no shame. You see, vulnerability means that we're willing to stand physically, emotionally, whatever, naked and not feel shame. And I wonder how often we ever feel that way. Can I emotionally bear myself without fear or shame of what someone might do, how someone might judge me? And yet God loves us. And He provides a way for us to stand unashamed before Him through what Christ did for us on the cross. He allows us to to remove that shame because we're forgiven. And we don't need to feel that shame anymore. You know, the intimacy that God has with us should drive us to seek intimacy with Him. In Jeremiah verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 13, it says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. See, God is not unknowable. You know, despite what those who claim to be agnostics might say, that there's no way of knowing, um, God has made Himself knowable. And we, we have to keep coming back to this fact that, that through Jesus, God made a way for us to know Him. And so God doesn't stand far off just looking there with this hammer waiting to beat on us the moment that our faults and sins and imperfections are revealed. No, God stands there welcoming us and reminding us that He made a way for us to know Him. We're not playing hide-and-seek with God. And I've got to remind myself of that. That, you know, God's not this elusive, you know, passive-aggressive deity that's out there to try to mess with our heads and say, oh, you thought you found me. Guess what? Fooled you. No. God wants us to know Him as intimately as He knows us. Now, that's an eternal undertaking for us, but that doesn't mean that we should be intimidated or not start somewhere. And Jesus modeled for us this idea that even Him, in His perfection, even in His equality with God, He still knew that He needed to maintain intimacy with His Father. He still needed to have a connection to His Father. We see in Matthew chapter 26 what Jesus does right in His hour of of need. Starting in verse 36. Of Matthew chapter 26. 
we read, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, or James and John, along with Him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled, and He said to them, My soul's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with Me. And going a little further, He fell with His face to the ground. And he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus going to the Father in that moment was not an afterthought. He didn't say, well, I've exhausted every other possibility, so I might as well pray to the Father now. Like That was Jesus' first line of defense. That was his first thought to say, I need to connect with my Heavenly Father. Because that intimacy with the Father drove him. And I dare say that that intimacy with the Father, especially right in this, his hour of need, was probably what propelled him to what was going to happen next. In his arrest, in his trial, his eventual crucifixion. And Jesus' sense of self and mission was confirmed when he spent time with the Father. So if we're running to the Father first, that should help to realign us in being affirmed in who we are before the One who created us. Being naked and unashamed and unafraid. We're not afraid of how God is going to see us. Even in our imperfections, even in our sins, He still loves us. And as we grow to know God more intimately, that should drive us in our intimacy with one another. That word, intimacy, the the noun comes from the Latin word, which means impress or to make familiar. And that comes from a Latin word meaning inmost. And so intimacy, it's a close, a a family-knit connection. That, that idea from the Latin that we're impressing upon someone. When we are intimately connected with somebody, we impress ourselves upon them. We, we leave a mark. And think about what that means for us. And what kind of mark are we leaving upon the people with whom we're deeply connected to? Our spouses, our children, our, our closest friends. What's the mark? What is the impression that's left when we're not there? Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? In his book, The Search to Belong, Joseph Myers writes, In intimate space we share naked experiences, feelings, and thoughts. Very few relationships are intimate Intimate relationships are those in which another person knows the naked truth about us, and yet the two of us are not ashamed. What does that look like for us? Can you think of the last relationship that you had or the last conversation that you had with someone where you were both willing and and able to share some intimate details of things with one another and there was no fear, there was no shame the naked truth was fully exposed and you were both unashamed in that. We've talked through the spaces. We've identified the specific things that we experience in those spaces. And in public space, we seek to be visible and seen. In social space, we seek to be available. In personal space, we seek to be accountable. And in intimate space, we seek to be vulnerable. Andy Crouch, 
in Strong and Weak says that vulnerability equals exposing ourselves to meaningful risk. What does it mean to expose ourselves to meaningful risk? It means that we don't just haphazardly do it. It doesn't mean that every single person we come along and say, hey, let me show, I mean, almost like a flasher, right? Like emotionally. And I've seen people like this. You know, that the moment they meet someone, it's like, hey, look, here it is. I'm going to show you everything. That's not what God's calling us to do. Myers says that not all of our relationships are that intimate. Very few relationships are there that we can stand before someone and really reveal the naked truth about us. If we think that we can experience intimate relationships with everyone, we'll be disappointed. Not to mention we'll scare people off all the time. Like, people don't want to see that. People don't want to know the naked truth of all of us. Some people can't handle it all. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus doing this well. He, he goes to the Father and He builds that intimacy with His Father, but He also goes to His friends. Not all the disciples are with Him. He says, hey, Peter, James, John, come on. I need you. And I appreciate that even as God, Jesus speaks in such, with such vulnerability to his friends. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And Jesus didn't say, hey, give me advice. He said, just hang out. I just need you here with me. Be present, be proximate with me. Like, I need you close by. You know, we don't have to have all the answers in our intimate spaces with people. Sometimes all they want is what Jesus wanted from his friends in that moment. You know, stay here and keep watch with me. Just hang out. Let's watch a movie. Let's do something. But like, we don't need to feel like we've got to fix everything. For some of us, that's harder than others. Some of us go into every relationship and are like, I can fix that. I can fix that. No. Like, lay off. Just be. Spend time in the presence of somebody and be okay with not being able to resolve it. Say, that's not what they want me to do. Intimate space isn't about fixing each other. It's going to be a messed up world if that's what it's about. It's about being in the presence of one another and being Jesus to each other. Our relationship with God and our intimacy with Him will drive us in our ability to experience intimacy with one another. I would dare say that if we can't and don't experience intimacy with God, it'll be hard for us to experience intimacy with each other. But our intimacy with others is also dependent on our own intimacy with ourselves. And that might sound weird, but we cannot know others intimately if we don't intimately know ourselves. For some of us, that's going to be harder to do. Like, I don't want to deal. I mean, it was my counselor and friend saying to me, hey, you need to be vulnerable. Don't just, you know, expose the things that you want. You've got to reveal everything. That's a hard thing. But in order to reveal it, we need to know what it is. And say, God, I know that there's things in me that, that you need to reveal, that you need to fix and change and transform. Can you reveal those things to me? And then how willing are we to reveal that to other people? But we need to know it first. 
because we cannot know others intimately if we don't intimately know ourselves. God has shown me so much over the years about this. My willingness. I've said for years that criticism is autobiographical. That when I criticize other people, I may as well be looking in the mirror because chances are the very thing that drives me nuts about everybody else is present in me. If you have kids, just look at them. The prime example in, in full display, like a magnifying glass, if you, if you see things that are driving you nuts in them, just ask yourself, where did they get it from? <laughs> and so criticism is autobiographical, and, and God's had to do some major unpacking and unearthing and earthwork in me to like dig that up. And to say, hey, all that stuff that you're seeing in everybody else is driving you absolutely bonkers? Guess what? I'm, I've got to work on that in you. I've got to transform that in you. And until I'm willing to, to come face to face with that, trying to experience intimacy with anyone, a spouse, a friend, anyone, is going to be hard. When it comes to this idea of intimacy, we have to be very careful to not force intimacy on other people. And I've said this throughout this series on the four spaces, that we can't force people into these spaces. If people aren't, un- aren't comfortable in personal space or intimate space or social space or public space, we can't say, well, you've got to go here anyway. No. We can lead them. We can encourage them. We can share about what's, what God's done in us, but we can't force them into that space. Joseph Myers, in his book, Search to Belong, he says this. He says, I find congregations asking those who show up for their first date to drive off with them to an unknown destination. That's like terrifying. And unfortunately, many times we ask them to enter intimate space to experience real church, the real God, real community, real belonging, and real love. And I wonder how can we show people real church, the real God, real community, real belonging, and real love in all four of the spaces. Not forcing someone and say, hey, you, in order to really experience this, you've got to come here. You've got to bear it all, your naked truth, and that's it. If people don't want to go, they're not going to go. All we're going to do is chase them off. And only the Holy Spirit can do the work in each and every one of us that needs to be done for us to be willing to go there. And so how do we model intimacy for people? How do we show them that it's okay Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German pastor and who was actually executed because of his involvement in a conspiracy to kill Hitler, he has a great book about community called Life Together. It's a, a really short book, but in it he wrote this. He said, let the person who cannot be alone beware of community, and let the person who's not in community beware of being alone. You know, that to me is a picture of what we're called to as followers of Christ. To come and not be afraid of being alone, but not be afraid of being together either. And being willing to operate and inhabit these four spaces with other people. I, I read a, most of you know that I, I am a 
fairly avid reader. I read a book this past week by a guy named Sebastian Younger who wrote The Perfect Storm, if you're familiar with that. Um, Not a believer by any stretch of the imagination that I could tell. Um, Spoke of evolution throughout his book, but it was a fascinating read for me. It was called Tribe, and he talked about how, you know, we're basically created for community with one another. And he has a quote in there from an anthropologist named Sharon Abramowitz. And she was speaking of our culture and society, and she said this, Our society is alienating, technical, cold, and mystifying. Our fundamental desire as human beings is to be close to others, and our society does not allow for that. Our society gives us fake and uh, false um, alternatives to that. You know, we think that because we're Facebook friends with someone, we know how to experience personal space or intimate space. So where does, the church, where does that leave the church and society thinking about Abramowitz's quote? What's that mean for us? What's the call for us as followers of Jesus Christ when we think about a culture that's alienating, technical, cold, and mystifying? You see, in my opinion, we have the one thing that distinguishes us from society in Jesus Christ. Relationships that are founded on Him that we encounter in the four spaces should buck up against these societal norms. And so how can the church offer relationships that are different for people? And sadly, we've not done a good job of that. Gosh, I I get updates from someone on Twitter on a regular basis hearing about how the church and pastors have failed people over and over and over again. And it's it's heartbreaking for me to think that, that God could have chosen anything and anyone to represent Him on this earth. He chose the church and so often we're such a poor, poor representation. And so how can we be counter-societal and counter-cultural, not being alienating, technical, cold, and mystifying, but welcoming, straightforward, warm, and understandable? Message of the gospel, it's not like something way out of reach, way far out here. It's like creation, sin, redemption by God. I think we do this, we allow ourselves to be welcoming, straightforward, warm, and understandable by by just modeling it well for people. And saying, hey, we know how to enjoy relationships in these spaces. We know what that looks like. And we model in our own relationships, and then we invite and welcome others into those spaces gently, kindly, lovingly. And if they say no, we say okay. And let them stay where they are because we're not the ones who change people. The Holy Spirit is. He's the one who does the work in us, through us, and in others. And so what do we do with all this? Ask ourselves, how do we lead with our own vulnerability? You know, again, one of the best ways that God has used to transform me in this area is as a father. 
because like, I don't even know how many times I've had to say, I'm sorry to my kids or to say, you know, look, as an Enneagram eight, anger always comes first for me. And so I always have to acknowledge and say, what's under that? Most of the time it's fear, but fear is vulnerable. You know, anger is, is, is okay. That's authentic, right? So how are we really being vulnerable to our spouses, to our children, to our friends, and letting them see even those things that we like to kind of keep tucked away? So you think about the four spaces. In, in which space do we feel most comfortable? Do we feel like, hey, it's okay. I, I'm okay being seen in, in public space. I'm even okay being available in social space. But personal space, uh, you know, I'm not sure about this accountability thing, and I'm definitely not good with this vulnerability thing. And so leading to that next question, which space do we need to grow? I don't think we're going to just understand this stuff and wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I'm nailing it in all four spaces. Woohoo! No. This is a process. You know, Paul likens our journey of faith to a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is something that we're in it for the long haul. And this is why we need community. This is why we need one another in this. Because God can't do the work in us unless we're willing to be in these spaces, to be vulnerable, to be accountable, to be available, and to be seen by other people. Let me pray for us. God, it sucks to be vulnerable. (laughs) I just don't like it. Sometimes I feel weak when I do it. I feel like I'm less than when I show that vulnerability. And yet, God, you displayed the greatest vulnerability that we could ever know. In your power and your perfection that you went to the cross for us. You're willing to take all that on though you didn't deserve it, though you hadn't earned it. And you showed us what vulnerability is through your journey to the cross. And then you've called us on that journey ourselves. And so Father, I pray that you would just remind us every day of what You call us to. Remind us that You've shown us the way and remind us that we have each other. And God, as we inhabit these spaces in our lives, I pray that our prayer would just be use us in these spaces, God. May we be seen. May we be available. May we be accountable. May we be vulnerable. Not because it's trendy or cool, but God, because you can do a work in us and through us when we're willing to do those things. And so God, we commit this all to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you willing to be vulnerable with others? How are you modeling that vulnerability? God works in us and through us in all the four spaces. 
We can never force people into those spaces. All we can do is testify to what God has done in us through those spaces and invite people on the same journey. May God continue to do his sanctifying work in us as we inhabit the four spaces in our lives. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.